all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hey, welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Waiting for your calls at 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. On any medical topics on your mind, this is your daily dose of preventive medicine or whatever treatment information that we can give you. If you give us a call, 1-877-672-7464, we'll try to meet your needs. Um, while I'm waiting for you, and I hope you'll either call or send us an email at mpbonline.org, um, just a few comments about all this gun stuff, which I know has upset everyone. The part that uh, most upsets me is local, and that has to do with the increasing number of children, one yesterday in the state that I know of, who are being shot. Uh, and they're being shot either uh, by getting um, access to weapons that are inappropriately stored in their home environment or weapons uh, that are being randomly shot or shot at other people. And uh, the the ones that we are seeing at UMC very... Uh, Anywhere from head injuries, which are always really bad, uh, to the one that we had most recently, which was an abdominal injury. Last year uh, in the U.S., there were over 2,000. The last count I had was 2080, maybe more or less. Maybe, maybe more. It's not going to be less. Uh, of uh firearm fatalities in children less than 19. And among children less than 15 years of age, uh, unintentional firearm deaths are usually self-inflicted or inflicted by other children, usually a family member. Um, So there you go. It's very rare for a child to kill an adult. They're usually playing with this. And uh, so... Uh, it is a big problem, especially in a state like ours, where you can pretty much assume that everybody is armed one way or the other uh, and be right. So uh, the the problem is is that uh, the other the other part of this is we have so many people now that are carrying guns that we have guns going off in doctor's office waiting rooms and in churches. And we've had both of those here in Jackson uh, within the last year and a half or so, including one in a major church 
a gun was dropped, loaded, and shot. Fortunately, it didn't hit anyone. And one in a doctor's office where someone was hit. So uh, we have some very irresponsible uh, people carrying arms around, and it is affecting all of us, and all of us are potential um, victims of this problem. And uh, it's going to take some advocacy by the community. The doctors have already uh, have all kinds of statements. In fact, the newest issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association that just came out online today uh, is all about gun violence. The American Medical Association has all kinds of recommendations about uh, the security of guns in the home and how they should be kept and so forth. And the problem is people are buying these guns and not getting there are a lot of problems. But one of the problems is people are just going and buying guns and not getting any training in how to use them, how to lock them, uh, and how to store them. And now the rest of us uh, are getting shot at. And that includes kids and grandkids and other people. If you are interested in this problem, all you've got to do is go to the American Academy of Family Physicians uh, Prevention of Gun Violence site, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics. They have a thing on this as well. The Brady Center has a very, very nice uh, part on prevention of gun injuries. Harvard School of Public Health has an injury control center where they have the latest on firearm research. And Johns Hopkins has a center for gun policy research. So if you're interested in this topic, you may want to go online and take a look at that. And that way, in in your communications with others on this topic, you'll actually have some evidence uh, and some information and some resources uh, to share with them about gun safety. Uh, there's also another site called Safe Kids Worldwide that talks about how to secure guns and ammunition and stuff like that that, so we can prevent these types of injuries, in particular children uh, injuring other children. So that's that's what I have to say on that. If you want to talk about that or other topics, give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. Other news, uh, medical news, while we're looking for your call at one eight seven seven mpb ring has to do with the flu shot. I think I tried to straighten out some information about that. I had uh, tried to straighten out but didn't make very clear last week, but I want to repeat it again, <clears throat> and that is an article has just been published that for the first time shows that the high-dose flu vaccine for individuals 65 and older actually does provide additional coverage, additional coverage over the the usual dose. There is a slight increase in the number of reactions at the reaction site, uh, but certainly uh, it decreases uh, the prevalence uh, of uh, 
the problem for uh, for you and for the general public. As you know, the reservoir for flu. By the way, we have open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four for any questions you have today. Love to talk to you. I'm alone and lonely here with Jay White. We can talk about football and baseball and uh, whatever kind of ping pong, whatever you want to talk about But uh, with Jay. But I think you want to probably talk about you got a doc, doc in the box here for free. So this is your free medical clinic. Give us a call at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, and we'll try to help you with whatever kind of medical questions you have. And we have open lines at that number. So back to the flu. So uh, the the flu vaccine is uh, the 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 source of the flu is in young children. They're the ones who uh, get it first and spread it around, and that's why the recommendation is to immunize children from six months up, and uh, that helps the kids not get the flu, but uh, just as importantly, it keeps the flu from spreading to seniors and others that are higher at risk. We have a huge population of uh, folks in our communities now that are on all kinds of immunoregulatory drugs. Uh, I'm an immunologist, and one of the things I do is see a lot of people with immune problems, including rheumatic diseases, and put people on all these new biologic agents that basically rev their immune system down, just turn it off. And when you do that, the arthritis or lupus or whatever else is going on is frequently well-controlled, but those patients are at an increased risk for infections, infections, including the flu. So, first of all, we try to get all of them immunized. In fact, before we start them on uh, anything uh, like Remicade or Enbrel or whatever, we get them uh, the Pneumovax, both of them. There are two Pneumovaxes uh, that you need to get, uh, pneumonia shots for pneumococcal protection. We get them... Uh, Haemophilus influenza that usually is given to kids, and we get them up on their whooping cough and their tetanus shots and diphtheria shots, so forth. And uh, then we start it. We try to get their immune system to be protected uh, and responsive if they happen to get any of these things. But the flu is a different issue because it's a different booger every year because it mutates. So um, please get your flu shot. Uh, it, it's not 100%, but if you do get the flu, it's not going to be as severe as it would be otherwise, and you keep from spreading it around everywhere. Uh, we have open lines. We're at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring We'd love to hear from you today before it gets busy and we don't have as much time to chat. Let's go to Jerry and Hickory. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Dr. Cushes. Good to hear from you. Uh, You know, I'm completely on board with you about vaccines and the anti-vaccine movement. And uh, 
I was a little alarmed last week when it seems like my niece, who has two small children and one on the way, seems to be joining the anti-vax movement. Um, I heard when I when I made a comment on the uh, page that she was on, uh, someone came back with a whooping cough study that um, it was one version of the whooping cough vaccine mm-hmm. that didn't work, and it was done by a reputable hospital, I forget, or research institution, I forget which one, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, they admitted that they hadn't thought of everything, and apparently there were some people who were having some bad effects from the whooping cough vaccine. Do you have an answer to that? Yeah. Do you know about it? Yeah, I, have, I don't know about that particular study. If you can find it and send it to me, I'll be happy to try to give you an unbiased critique on it. There's a huge amount of data on pertussis, which is the whooping cough, and that's in the three-vaccine combo that we give adults who every 10 years now you get whooping cough, tetanus, uh, and pertussis. Uh, pertussis is whooping cough, and uh, it's called, uh, I'm blocking on the name of it, but I'll get it for you in a second. But those three agents uh, are uh, diphtheria, whooping cough, which is pertussis. And uh, what the reason that we started giving that again is because we started having epidemics of whooping cough in adults. And I, I was one of the ones who actually uh, picked up one of these patients, one of the first patients uh, in the state who, who actually had this. I had an asthmatic patient. I was caring for that just start, had uncontrollable cough, and um, I thought I, my asthma management was no good. And finally, I just gave up, and out of nowhere, I said, "Well, maybe you know, maybe this could be whooping cough." And I got the work up, and sure enough, that was what the patient had. She'd caught whooping cough, and sure enough, uh, her grandkids had not been immunized. And they had probably had it and passed it on to her. So there are a number of people now who are not immunized to whooping cough. And then there are a number of people, adults, who are under immunized. So you put those two together and you got a problem. You got a lot of adults getting whooping cough. And sooner or later, you're going to get somebody uh, with whooping cough that is a big problem and is, is causes a, a hospitalization and and uh, tracheostomy and stuff. The other one is diphtheria, which is even worse. So that's what's in that three vaccine is diphtheria, whooping cough, and tetanus that we give adults every 10 years now. So there are, if you if you go to googlescholar.com, which is for the public a good place to look at the medical literature on this rather than some of the garbage that's on Google in general, if you go to googlescholar.com. Most of those articles on tetanus are on that site. And what you're looking for is a controlled study in which they compare two groups, a placebo group who doesn't get whatever is being studied and uh, a treatment group who does to compare the two. And most of these studies that have reported problems with vaccines, just report a whole bunch of patients who had a whole bunch of different problems and claim that the vaccines caused the problem. But just because you have two things happen in time together doesn't mean 
that they are causally related. So that's where a lot of this stuff is coming from. And I encourage you to send that to me, and I will certainly respond to you in email about it, but I'm sure it's more the same. They're not perfect. People do have reactions to them. There is a national vaccine uh, federal government-supported site that is set up for children who have vaccine reactions and need medical care. They provide medical care if they have any long-term effects they try to help with that. That's that's rarely, rarely used because there are very rare that these reactions do occur. But we occasionally get kids who have immune deficiencies that we don't know about. We immunize them and they get complications. And And this site is very helpful. And I have participated in, in some of the reviews that have uh, come to that site uh, asking for help. So I'm pretty familiar with this. So, no, uh, I don't have any further information about that one, but I appreciate your bringing it up and giving me a chance to pontificate about it. So thank you so much. Let's go to our next caller, Jay. Where is that, that the next one? Is it? Slidell. We got Jane and Slidell. Hey, Jane, what's going on in Slidell? Well, I um, was without insurance for um, uh, about a year and a half. Uh, because my insurance got canceled, I now have it back again, mm. and I'm going to uh, the doctor this afternoon, and I have a list of my former prescriptions, but since I haven't been to the doctor in a year and a half, and I was wondering just for what should I ask, what should I check, um, is there anything for a routine checkup that I should be checking with Yeah, there, there's a lot of things, so thanks for giving me that uh Prompt. I should have already discussed this whole deal of the healthy you visits that people are entitled to with most of their insurances. Were you taking any medicine for a chronic problem like blood pressure medicine or? I wasn't taking any blood pressure uh, stuff. I was taking um, an anti-inflammatory because I had had uh, a stiff shoulder. Uh huh. It was a frozen shoulder. Yeah. And when I went to a rheumatologist, they determined that I did not have. Uh, arthritis or um, anything like that, but th- that the, it just was a frozen shoulder and right. in, to right. keep the inflammation down. So, in that. Other than that, the reason I ask you that, Miss Jane, was mm-hmm. anytime anybody loses insurance mm-hmm. uh, and is on a medicine for blood pressure or something serious like that, eye problems, and yeah. just doesn't have the money to get it, there are tricks that we can do to help people get their medicine until they get back on their feet. And uh, a couple of them is uh, are we call the farm, the farm, the rep, the drug rep mm-hmm. that uh, has that particular blood pressure medicine and get it for our patients. And, and we can do that. Or we refer people to federally qualified health centers, of which we have a huge number in our state, and they have them in Louisiana and uh, other states as well, federally qualified health centers that are set up for people who, who lose their insurance or don't have any insurance or underinsured, <clears throat> and they have a sliding scale on their payments. If you have no dollars coming in, they charge you nothing. 
if you have some dollars in, they charge you a small amount of that for being seen there. So there's there's a safety net out there, and this is not for you because you didn't have anything other than a, an insight that you could get over the counter that probably for what you needed. But let me just directly answer your question where I can get on to some of the other calls. Uh, number one, be honest with your doctor. Say, you're the first doctor I've seen in quite a while because I lost my insurance. I'm trying to get uh, back uh, on my preventive medicine, and uh, I just wanted to give you the rundown of what immunizations I've had. I haven't had a flu shot this year. Uh, the last time I had my tetanus, diphtheria, whooping cough, uh, uh, diphtheria, triune shot, the three-in-one, was whenever it was. Uh, the last time uh, I had a pelvic uh, pap, and if you're over 40, mammogram, uh, was whenever it was. And uh, if you're over um, over 50, uh, whether or not you've had your colonoscopy, colonoscopy, you sound like a chickadee to me, um, the, the, whether or not you need a colonoscopy. And those are the big preventive things is your mammogram, which you definitely have to get caught up on. That's a yearly thing over 40 to make sure you've had a colonoscopy within the last 10 years. And if you've had a first degree relative with colon cancer, you need to get that 10 years earlier than the person had it. So you might get it even earlier than 50. Um, and uh, up to date on your shots. And uh, those, are the, those are the big things. And then if you have an, an, complaints, because this is going to be, this is gonna be a, uh, a short visit with a lot of problems, I would write down these things in a list. And I'd make two copies, give one copy to your doctor and one copy you would speak from and say, doctor, are you, uh, uh, would it be helpful to you if I went down my list? And 99% of us will say, please go ahead. And, and you'll just say, here's what I'd like to, to do this, this visit. I'd like to get cop, cop up on my immunizations, my other preventive care. And oh, by the way, my shoulder still hurts. And uh, that's the way I would do it. Take control of your visit. It works a lot better. How's that? Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Now have a good visit, and thank you for calling and letting me talk about that. Let's go to Charles and Jackson. Hey, Charles. Oh, hello. I have a, uh, my recently I had a, a some blood tests, including a metabolic panel, mm-hmm. and it uh, the everything was normal except my calcium which was elevated. Mm-hmm. And so my internist uh, referred me to an endocrinologist and told me in the meantime to cut back on dairy products. I'm a lacto-ovo-vegetarian, and I, I eat a lot of dairy. Well, so that was kind of difficult, but I did. When I finally got to the endocrinologist, uh, she said there was no connection whatsoever between dietary calcium intake and elevated calcium levels that that the calcium levels were caused by uh, a malfunction of the parathyroid gland. Yes. And so then I saw another endocrinologist in the same office, and uh, they both agreed, told me to go right ahead with 
with as much dairy as I wanted to eat unless there was some other reason to cut back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have these two conflicting opinions about uh, dietary calcium. Let me speak uh, to that. Let me speak to that. Um, <clears throat> there is this condition called hyperparathyroidism that you're talking about. And the parathyroid, there are four of them, at least four, sometimes more, that sit on either side, the little bitty bumps on either side of your thyroid, and they control your blood calcium level. They are continuously monitoring your calcium, and when it gets too low, they secrete a parathyroid hormone, which causes your calcium to go up. And it's a wonderful system. It's a similar system the way your pancreas works on glucose control and your thyroid works on thyroid hormone. And those are the kinds of systems that we're now trying to duplicate with things like the insulin pump, uh, where people don't have to um, you know, worry about what their blood sugar level is. So th- we're trying to emulate what the good Lord already put in place uh, that works so well when it works well. And uh, parathyroid, uh, hyperparathyroidism is not an unusual condition. In fact, several years ago, some of the endocrinology organizations tried to stop screening for it. When you get a metabolic panel, calcium is one of the things on it. And so commonly, they were picking up asymptomatic hyperparathyroidism with elevated calciums. They tried to get it taken off the panel where so many people wouldn't get referred to them because the majority of people that have this have very mild hypercalcemia and don't have any problems. If you start having bone resorption, uh, like osteopenia or osteoporosis, or the levels get extraordinarily high, then it has to be treated. And the usual treatment is to cut out your parathyroid glands. And it's a big surgery because if you don't do it carefully, you get the recurrent laryngeal nerve and you can't talk anymore. It gets your, uh, you can't, you can't speak. So it's 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 a big deal. Uh, if you have low grade hyperparathyroidism that is uh, not much of a problem, if you take extra vitamin D or extra calcium, uh, it will make it worse. Okay. Uh, now that doesn't make any sense because I just told you that. It's supposed to regulate. Well, the problem with parathyroid is is that it's secreting too much, and the more calcium and vitamin D that you get, the more it stimulates the process, and that can provoke hypercalcemia in somebody who has very, very mild hyperparathyroidism and make it worse. So they're, they're right about dairy unless there's a whole truckload of vitamin D in there, and somebody taking a lot of it could definitely get some problems with hypercalcemia. We see it all the time. In fact, we see it in people who aren't hyperparathyroid that we can define who take too much vitamin D. Vitamin D, E, A, and K are fat-soluble, and you can get intoxicated with any of them. So we don't recommend that you take those ad lib uh, without talking to your doctor. So that's that's the answer on that and Charles and you're the truth is always somewhere between the opinions and uh, you're thinking right and I would not make sure I wasn't taking any extra vitamin D and wasn't taking any calcium supplement uh, beyond what you 
uh, make. And if you want some more information on this, I have a patient handout on hypercalcemia. I'll be glad to send you if you send him an email at southernremedy.mpbonline.org. They'll help you straighten this out. And thank you so much for your calls. We have an open line at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or we'll take your emails at uh, southernremedy at mpbonline.org. This is the uh, all things uh, topics available. Uh, I used to say all things considered, but that's now prohibited by the Communist Party. Um, I can't say that. Uh, it conflicts with another program that has rank over us. So uh, so uh, we'll take any questions on any topics, and we'd love to have your question right now at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Jackson and Cammy, and then we'll go back to Starkville. Cammy, what's your question? Oh, thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. My parents are in their 80s. They're in great health, and I'm so blessed that they do everything they're supposed to do, flu shots and everything. My problem is I have a brother who is 58 who refuses to get a flu shot. He's around them constantly, and it makes me angry that he's putting them at risk. Um, Can you provide me with an educated argument that I can present to him that might encourage him? to help protect them by getting a flu shot? Well, it sounds to me like it doesn't have anything to do with rational behavior. It has to do with personality issues. Because in my experience, the people that I see in my clinic, and I'll just tell you, as hard as I work, there are about 25% of my patients who will not take flu shots. And, you know, I love them. I love them just like the ones who will. And uh, but I worry about them. And uh, it's not because I haven't explained all the stuff you just uh, recited, okay, which is all rational. You've already explained to him that he has the potential of exposing uh, older people who have a higher risk of complications from the flu, and they are significantly higher, including the instance of flu pneumonia. The big thing we worry about is when you get the flu, uh, a certain percentage of people get a bacterial pneumonia after it, and that's what kills them. Uh, I went to the cemetery over uh, near Birmingham that my family, uh, at the little Presbyterian church my family um, went to, uh, when they moved to that area in the early 1800s. And I saw row on row of adults and children uh, with the great flu epidemics. I mean, it took out five or six people at least from our family every time it came through, and they were just all lined up with tombstones with the same dates within a month of each other. So it used to kill a whole lot of folks, especially old folks. And uh, now, fortunately, we can treat with antibiotics, and many of those people we can salvage. But when you're over X years of age, it can be a problem. So I don't know anything else you can do other than to say it's the right thing to do. And by the way, if you get any symptoms, don't come anywhere near them because you might infect them. And that's about all I could say. We can give people who start getting the flu that haven't been immunized an antiviral agent. And 
that helps a little bit for them. But by then, they've already exposed a whole bunch of people. So I think it's irresponsible behavior. It's just like some people refuse not to smoke around others. That's equally crazy. Uh, so there are just those folks out there, and God love them and bless them. So that's all I can say. Thanks for your call. We have two open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. I'd love to take your call or chat with you about a medical issue. Just give us a call at this number, and we have an open line. Hey, Carol, how are things in Starkville? Pretty good. How are you today? Pretty good. It's a great place and the great people up there. Well, listen, I'm uh, 66 years old, and I teach on campus, and I just got finished with a couple of months of pretty intense caregiving to my husband, who had some some serious uh, cardiac issues. Sorry. And the good news is he's better. Good. But it's like since he has gotten better, I am falling apart. I have caught, I usually don't catch anything, mm-hmm. but I have caught one thing after another. I feel awful. I don't know if it's the antibiotics that they gave me for the, one of the rhinoviruses, but I'm just wondering if there's a way that I can rebuild my immune system and sort of go back to functioning like I usually do. This uh, this problem that you're having is not at all foreign to my, to me. I have uh, heard this problem uh from other caregivers and there's a thing called caregiver fatigue in which people basically just sort of wear out taking care of people other loved ones uh it's an epidemic now because we have people living so long that we have a lot of children and relatives and uh significant others caring for people in the home to try to keep them off of nursing homes and in fact the inc- there is an increased rate of death in caregivers uh, during the period and shortly thereafter uh, when they are taking care of uh, someone in the home. It's a stress-related thing. And the thing that's most common is uh, heart attacks. But we do see people who start getting stress-related immunologic turnoff and they get recurrent infections. So this, this you're, you're putting this two and two together is very rational and appropriate. However, I I would still make sure that I had my immune system checked out. And anytime you have recurrent viral infections, it's very important that you get a set of antibody levels. That's IgG, the major antibody, M and A, to make sure your levels are normal because this can present that way. Uh, If you have any HIV risk, you have an HIV uh, test. And if uh, you have had any unusual symptoms, that you get referred to an immunologist for a more complete evaluation. Now, to directly uh, answer your question, most people who take care of significant others in the home are sleep-deprived. And we know that sleep and exercise deprivation or associated with an increased risk of viral infections. And so exercise is the answer to your question. And that is, and I'm sure you hadn't been doing much, but that would be a graded exercise program. Now, you're, you're teaching on campus, so you have access to the trainers and everybody else uh, at the university. And I would try to get with a trainer 
and get rehabilitated. The other thing you can do is you can ask your doctor to refer you to a physical therapist for conditioning, uh, but it might be more convenient for you to uh, um, to do it that way. I, I'll just tell you, I have the same issue. When I uh, was on attending rounds in the hospital for long periods of time, I used to be sick for the whole month after I got off service and with viral infections just because I was so stressed out, stayed up all night taking phone calls and going in seven days a week. So I understand uh, what you're experiencing. There are a lot of people listening to us right now that are shaking their heads with the same problem. So that's uh, next time this happens, if it does, you're going to have to take much better care of yourself. You just can't can't do that without some help. And people are slow to ask for home health because it's covered with Medicare, and you can get some people in there to help you. Uh, and if you can afford it, you can get more help. That's a problem for most people in Mississippi. So there you go. Let's go to – we're going to Wiggins next, or are we going to Bay Springs? We're going to Wiggins, then we'll go to Bay Springs, and then we have open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. Love to take your call. Hey, James, what's going on in Wiggins? Yes. First of all, I would really like to agree with you on having children taken care of early for so many things. Uh, I remember Dr. Salks. Yes. I remember that. Mm -hmm. I remember having the smallpox vaccine in my arm before that. Mm -hmm. And I'm just telling you, uh, I don't know how anyone could not have that taken care of for the children. Well, let me let me just respond to that before we get to your question, because it's such an important point. I do not want to demonize mothers who make this decision because they love their kids just like the mothers who get their kids immunized. They're not bad people. Uh, they're not stupid. In fact, some of the mothers that I deal with that refuse to get immunizations are the brightest uh, people I've ever met. It's just that they're getting a lot of bad information from authority figures who are using this kind of thing for their own benefit to get attention, uh, make money, do other things. And, uh, and they don't know enough about science and don't trust science to know how to critically look at the issue. So I love those moms and dads who do that, and uh, and I try my best to communicate exactly what you said to them. This is not 1820. Uh, we do know how to do this better, uh, and no doctor wants to make somebody sick giving them treatment. That, why, why would we want to do that? That's why we... Uh, go to work every day. So um, that's just the way it goes, and I appreciate your support. Do you have a problem you want to talk about? Yes. Like I said, I am 66 years old, and one of the reasons I'm 66 is because of what we were talking about. Right. Okay? Right. All right. But I am, well, on both sides of my family, okay, I have heart disease. Mm-hmm. I mean, big time heart disease on both sides. Right. And I am still alive. Uh, knock on wood. Thank good for that. 
Now, I do go to a doctor regularly, mm-hmm. and she, well, lets me know what I'm doing wrong regularly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, are there, well... Yes, are there, there are. There are guidelines for are for people. Are there diets? Yes, there are diets. Eat. Let me. I mean, according to her, I can eat fish. I can eat. <laughs> I, I, you can eat a lot more than that fish. You you can eat a lot more than fish. Uh, let me just tell you what risk stratification is. One of the things that we do as internal medicine specialists, and most primary care doctors do this is to risk stratify everyone we see uh, for certain diseases that are preventable, okay? And we actually have risk calculators that we carry in our phones. And we have one for heart disease. We have one uh, for colon cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in your particular case, uh, you, you have two immediate risk factors. Number one, you're a man. Well, actually, three. Number one, you're a man. Number two, you're older. And number three, you have family members on both sides of your family who have heart disease, probably atherosclerotic coronary artery disease. So you are what we consider at considerable risk. The things that uh, cause additional risk on top of that include obesity, 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 and obesity. Um uh, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, cigarette smoking, and lack of exercise. Those are the big ones. There are a few more, but those are the biggies. So what we would do with you is we would check your cholesterol to make sure you don't have an elevated cholesterol. Correct that. That has been shown to prevent heart disease. We check your blood pressure. We would normalize that. That's been shown to correct uh, uh to decrease the risk. We'd probably put you on a baby aspirin because of your history. We're now doing that for people with high risk uh, now. Baby aspirin, if you don't have any contraindications or reasons not to do that. Uh, We would definitely encourage you to exercise at least 30 minutes three times a week, more if possible. And I'm not talking about weightlifting and climbing mountains. I'm talking about walking. Uh, as bristly as you can, we would probably get a cardiac stress test on you at some time or a, a calcium score to see if you do have calcium in your arteries. That would put you at even higher risk, and we would drop your bad cholesterol uh, not just to 100 where we usually go, but to 70 because there's evidence that that decreases the risk of people who have coronary plaques uh, by taking it down lower. So we use one of the more powerful statins rather than the lower potency statins like pravastatin and you. And uh, so th- that's a general summary of the kinds of things we do. And if you want a, uh, a more articulate presentation of that, I will be happy to send you uh, some information if you send me a email it's uh, southern remedy at mpbonline.org i have a little uh, know your numbers thing that we we give out to our patients that helps with that and you know the whole this whole diet thing is crazy uh, there has just been another article that says that low fat diets are bad for you because you eat too many carbs and you get diabetes 
You know, the good Lord made us uh, omnivores, eating everything, because that's what we're supposed to eat, everything. Just everything in balance, fruits and vegetables, uh, meat, fish. But you don't have to eat fatty meat. You eat lean meat, and you eat it in portions. So there you go. Have a steak on me. Uh, Make sure it's a lean one. But know your cholesterol. If your cholesterol, if your LDL is normal, have two steaks on me. And thanks for your call. Let's go to... I just had a couple of cardiologists have chest pain, but that, they deserve it. Let's go to Joe in Bay Springs. Hey, Joe. Hey. What's happening? Well, not much. I'm 67, but I've had a question that I couldn't get answered for years. Well, I'll give it my best shot. I'm old, too, so uh, maybe I know. <laughs> about, 19, about 1955, I came down with scarlet fever. Not fun. Oh, and I don't know where I got it from. Yeah. You got it from somebody with a sore throat. I did? Yeah. That scarlet fever is is a reaction to a beta hemolytic uh, bacteria called strep. And uh, some people, for some reason, that get a strep throat, and you don't even have to have a sore throat to get it, uh, but you do get the strep germ from somebody else. And uh, a a significant percentage of the healthy population, if you culture their throat for strep, will have it in there. Some people are strep carriers. And, for instance, uh, we have families where one kid gets recurrent strep throat, and uh, we put him on antibiotics, clear up his throat, uh, culture it. There's no strep there. And then he gets another one. And then we go around and culture all the kids in the family that are healthy. And one of them is carrying strep all the time and reinfecting him. So we have to treat that one and hope that it works. But anyway, scarlet fever is a skin rash, which is an immune response to the strep uh, bacteria that causes strep throat. Now, it's it's not that bad. What we're really concerned about is that people, and why we treat strep throats, is you can get valvular heart disease from the strep germ, and it can cause mitral stenosis, which is a scarring of one of the major valves in your heart. So that's, that's, uh, that's we used to have epidemics of that before we treated uh, strep throats. So there's several complications of strep throat. One is a scarlet fever which is a rash, which doesn't kill you. Number two is valvular heart disease. We always listen for murmurs in people who've had a lot of this problem because you can hear it with a stethoscope. And another is uh, retropharyngeal abscess. Sometimes your tonsils get so big you can't breathe. So those are some of the big things that happen with a strep germ. Is that helpful? Yeah, but one more question. All right. Uh, about 10 years ago, I had a minor heart attack. There is no such thing as a minor heart attack. Well. You I, had a heart attack. I had a heart attack, and yep. I was in Alabama. And mm-hmm. They stuck this tube and camera up into my heart to check out what was going on. Yes, sir. And they found a scar in there. Mm-hmm. Did that come from the strep throat? Did they find a scar in your coronary artery? Uh, yes. Okay, No. No, the, the scar comes on, on your mitral valve. 
mitral valve. You can Google it and look a picture of a picture of it'll pop up uh, in your heart. That's the valve that keeps the blood from going backwards when your heart contracts and squirts it out uh, through the aortic valve into your um, peripheral vessels in your arms and legs and so forth. And it gets scarred up. Uh, but no, coronary. Uh, the what they were talking about, I think. Is that when they when they did that angiography, stuck that tube up into your uh, uh, coronary arteries and squirted dye in there and took pictures of it? They found a narrowing uh, in a coronary artery. Now they may have also found a scar on your heart muscle after um, after a, a heart attack. You can see scarring because what happens with a heart attack is basically the blood supply to your muscle part of your heart uh, gets cut off from a clog in the blood vessel supplying it, and it basically dies, and you get a scar. And so that's another way you can see a scar. And you can actually see those frequently on uh, echocardiograms and stuff like that that they do to, to look at. The bottom line is you need to be on an aspirin every day, and you need to be seeing a cardiologist and probably if you haven't had a cardiac stress test where you walk on a treadmill a long time, uh, you need to have that. In ba- and you really need to have your LDL, bad cholesterol, at 70 or lower uh, for to protect you from that. So if you're not up to date on all that, here's a chance to get it done. And thank you for your call. You're uh, welcome. We, we're glad to f- hear from you. Uh, let's go to Port Gibson and Linda. We have a few more minutes left, and we have an open line at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Love to take your call, but you better call quick because uh, the sale is going to be over in just a minute, and the blue light will be turned off. Let's go to Linda and Port Gibson. Hey, Linda. Yeah, uh, Doctor Deshanto. It's almost like you're preaching to the choir when it comes to that gun safety. Yeah, I know. Because, uh, the wrong people are listening. Sister, yeah, my sister uh, shot my niece. Oh, my gosh. With a gun. Oh, my Lord. But it grazed her, and, and it just it just scared her to death. And uh, I know of several examples where, you know, guns were used for, for children, and, and those children end up killing a child, you know. And it's almost like you're preaching to the choir when it comes to gun control, and that's all I have to say. Well, 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 I mean, cycle. maybe we can learn something from this awful experience. Did she drop her gun, or did it lay it around? In the, what happened um, when she shot the child? Oh, um, or just, do you know? She just had it. In, she just had it in her hand. And uh, it went off. And it went off. Oh, my goodness. And it shot the girl. Oh, my. Is she okay? Yeah, she's okay. Oh, she was, she was terrified, but she's okay. Yeah. I told and, you, we had somebody in a doctor's office uh, had one in a purse that went off, not at UMC, but was in our area. And there probably have been some others. Uh, you know, the, the, they're trying to get safeties put on all guns where you have to, you know, you can't drop it and it goes off 
Or if you do something stupid like forget you put it out on the counter, if a kid picks it up, they can't use it. But, uh, you know, there's so much resistance to doing anything to control gun violence that, you know, just can't get it done. So it's going to take a lot of people like you and me and others who care about kids to get those those sorts of things done uh, on weapons. I mean, uh, you know, they all of them ought to have uh, some kind of locks on them. I mean, that's not asking much. Where, uh, well, all you have to do is think about 58 people plus one the shooter. That should that should uh, play on somebody's mind. Bless you, Linda. Thank you for your Thank call. You. We Bye-bye. appreciate it. Hey, Vic, what's happening? You there? Good, good, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I'll be quick. Uh, uh, I have I, I have peripheral neuropathy. Yes, sir. Uh, I've been through the whole phalanx of tests. I'm not diabetic. Uh, uh, it's called idiopathic. Oh, yeah. But, but the doctors believe that it probably was due to some autoimmune disorder that unnamed. Uh, but I've been advised not to get uh, vaccinations mm-hmm. uh, because of... Uh, the autoimmune process might lead to Guillain-Barre or some such thing. you have an opinion on that? Yeah, I have an opinion on that. About a third of peripheral neuropathy, and, and Lord knows I see a lot of it because I'm a rheumatologist um, and, and an internist. Uh, a, a lot, a lot, most of, a third of that is uh, uh, is what's called the kind you got, idiopathic. That means we're idiots and we can't figure it out. Um the other two-thirds of it is usually in patients with diabetes or other definable causes of small blood vessel disease. Uh, unless you have a specific immune deficit, low antibodies or other things, the presence of peripheral neuropathy does not prohibit you from getting your flu shot or other immunizations. And the best thing to do is just get yourself referred to an immunologist allergist immunologist or somebody else who has some expertise in that to get that taken care of so i don't i don't agree with that advice and but i do appreciate you giving me a shot at it i'm sure your doctors will be looking for me so i'll check under my car before i start it thanks for your call and thanks for everyone for listening it's been great to be with you today i always learn from your calls and it's a joy for me to be here with you We'll be back the same place, the same time next week. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now that's coming up next. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.